Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. All right, we're going to be reading Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. So let's begin with verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger into water and to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of God. Well, as you know, if you've been with us for a while, we have been in the book of Genesis, and we're not going to be in that book, as you know, as I just read this passage uh, this morning. But there is something that we've been learning over the past few weeks in the book of Genesis, and that is that we were created, all of us were created in the image of God. And so that means that we all are creative creatures because we were created in his image, that we have the ability to design things. We have the ability to invent wonderful things. But you know, at the same time, we also have the ability to create things that really are useless and that, that really shouldn't exist because they don't really meet a real need or serve a real purpose. And this morning, I have a list of a few things that I found on the internet that I think fall into this category. Things that don't really meet a need and they don't really serve a purpose. I want you to be the judge from where you sit as we show them on the screen. Number one, a walking sleeping bag. Okay, You're supposed to be sleeping. 
in a sleeping bag. Number two, an alarm clock with a slapping hand. So Now, this might be something that you need, but not me. Number three, diet water. I bet you they have sold cases of this, you know, to be truthful. Number four, I want you to think about this one. Rewindable DVDs. Is there a real need for that? I mean, number five, a useless sign. Number six, this is actually my favorite one. Y'all know what that is? It's, a, it's called a sweat gutter. Um, this guy, he has a whole website with these types of inventions. It's, it's unnecessaryinventions.com uh, that you might want to go to later on. But anyway, that's one of my favorite. I love his look on his face. So, All right, number uh, seven, a peephole on this door. Number eight, just look at it, wait for it. This looks like some of my things I constructed early in life. Number nine, this one's really good. A parking gate arm, I mean, if you can't get past that, yes. So, number 10, Reach Life Church. Now, this is my question. Does Reach Life Church fit in this list? Are, do we really meet a need, or do we serve a real purpose? Does Reach Life Church, the question I'm asking is, does Reach Life Church need to exist? And I think that in order to answer that question on our three-year anniversary, we need to understand why the church exists in the first place. And in order to understand that, we need to understand why does anything exist? What's the purpose of anything that exists? And we talk, we talk a lot about this. So a lot of what I'm going to share this morning is going to be a reminder to us, uh, to help us to remember why do we exist. And in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Paul says to us, yet for us, yet for those who are of the household of God, yet for believers, for followers in, in Christ, there is one God. For us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So according to Scripture, according to the Word of God, everything that exists was created by God, what? For God. So they were created by God, for God, to reveal something. God wants to reveal himself to his creation, and he wants his creation to reveal him, himself through his creation. And that's why we exist. And there's an early church document that states our purpose. It says that man's chief and highest end, see that there? Man's chief and highest end. In other words, the reason that man exists, the purpose for man is to glorify God and, not just to glorify him, but to enjoy him fully forever. Let me ask you this. Is this true of your life? Do you glorify God with your life and 
Are you enjoying God as you are bringing glory to him? And you know, uh, the church body is comprised of people, right? This building, I think most of us know that this building is not the church. We are the church, and this is a church building. But the church uh, is made up of people, so the church exists of people that are meant to know God, to know him and his glory, and then to show God and his glory. That is the purpose of the church. That's why we exist. So when we ask the question, does Reach Life Church need to exist? The answer is, well, are we, getting, are we coming to know in truth the real God? And are we glorifying that true God? Are we a church, a body that is showing the world this God? Because you know what? God, you know he's, who he's for? God is for himself. God is centered on himself. And I know you're probably thinking, you might be thinking, well, that's very self-centered. And you know what? I would agree with you. That is very self-centered. And for human beings, that is a bad thing. When we are self-centered, when we are egotistic, bad things happen, don't they? That's what happens, happened with the rich man in our account. He was self-centered. He was uh, set upon himself. He was absorbed with himself. And it brought about oppression and death and destruction. But, listen, when God is in the center of it all. When God is the one that is glorified, guess what happens? Dead people come to life, don't they? Brokenness, broken relationships, broken families, broken um, spouses are mended and healed. Addictions are broken. Sins are forgiven. And our lives are transformed. You get a transformed life when God is the one who is the center of it all, when God is the one who is glorified. That's why God is about himself, about his glory, because he wants us all to experience life through him. 1 Corinthians 10.1 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So the question I want to ask is how, how do we do that? How can we truly glorify God as a church body? This is a very important question that we need to be asking at three years, is how do we move forward? How do we not just stay where we're at? How do we continue to grow and move forward? Well, in Acts chapter 2, we see that the first century church, and I preached on this last year, I know that you remember this. I know you do. It's like, don't preach it again. We, I'm just kidding. I, don't, I had to go back and look at my notes. But there's four things that, the, that in Acts chapter 2, the first century church were devoted to. They were the word of God, the fellowship of believers, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Those were the four things that the first century church were built on. And they were continuing to grow in that. And I believe that we are continuing to grow in that. But there is another way that I want to focus in on this morning in which God is glorified, that God is revealed through his church, and that is when his people, God is glorified when his people are freed to love like Jesus loved. I'm going to say that again. 
God is glorified when his people are freed to love like Jesus loves. And that brings us to our passage this morning that I just read a few minutes ago. And in order to get the context of this passage, we need to back up to the beginning of this chapter. And uh, we'll see that, if you were to go back and read it, you'll see that Jesus is, is teaching on wealth. And he's teaching that God has given us things in this life to be faithful with. He's entrusted them to us. And he says, take those things and invest them in a way that glorifies God, and you will be rewarded in the life to come. And as he's teaching this, it says that the Pharisees, these the Pharisees were religious leaders of the day. They were the preachers of the day. As it were, actually, they were much more powerful than that. But in our context, that's the closest thing I know to, to get to, the Pharisees. But they were the religious people. And it says that as they heard these things, that they scoffed at him. They, they were just like, whatever. And Jesus turns to them and he rebukes them. He says, you know what? You guys love money and you guys love to exalt yourself. And then he goes into, into today's passage. That's what today's passage, the context of today's passage is. The rich man and Lazarus. Now, there, there is a debate among scholars. There are um, some who would say that this is a parable that Jesus was preaching, teaching from. Others would say, no, this is not a parable because none of Jesus' other parables have someone named in it, like Lazarus. And you know what we could do? We could spend the rest of our service with me trying, us trying to debate, is this a parable or did it really happen? And in doing so, and here's, you know, the truth is, a lot of times this is what we do as, as church people. We debate things. and It's okay to wrestle, but we get fixated on things instead of getting the main point of what Jesus was teaching. And I don't, I don't want that to happen to us this morning. I want to get the point of why did Jesus teach this passage. So whether it was a parable or whether it really happened, let's don't focus on that this morning. I don't want to miss what Jesus is doing because what he's doing is he's loving, he's loving his listeners. He's loving the Pharisees. He's correcting them. He's trying to show them, this is the way you're headed. Turn and repent. And guess what? That's what this passage is meant for us this morning. I'm not saying we're necessarily headed this way, but let's not head that way if we're not, okay? So Jesus begins in verse 19, and he says that there was this rich man, and he was dressed and clothed in purple and fine linen. He was dressed to the nine, right? He was wearing the best clothing available in his day. And it says that he feasted sumptuously. Do you ever use that word, sumptuously? I don't, but unless I'm preaching, but that sumptuously, it means that, that he was partying for every single one of his meals. It says that he did this every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and whenever else. He was like having a feast. This was his daily way of life, and he was, this was a man that was, that was insulated and protected by his wealth from hunger and pain. He never felt hunger. He was untouched by the trials in this world. Therefore, he was out of touch with those who were experiencing trials, even those who were laid right at his gate. He didn't truly, he didn't truly see that he had a need for God. 
And he definitely, definitely was not heavenly minded. Because in his mind, I think he already was in paradise. He had everything that he could ever have wanted. And you know, I believe in context that the rich man represents, I already said the Pharisees, but he also represents the religious people of that day. People who are religious. You know, and, and, and everyone in this room, or many of us in this room, we could fit into this category. These people, being religious, probably loved Bible studies. They loved to study the Bible. They loved to, to get deep into theology and to wrestle over things in, in the Word of God. They loved to, to uh, talk about it and sing praises to God. But that's as far as it went. All, all they did was talk about it. They never took action. And by their actions, they prove. And by the rich man's actions, he proved that he did not know God. Now, on the other hand, we have Lazarus, the poor man. A poor man that's infested with sores. And he's trapped, he's trapped in a life where his comforters, listen to this, his comforters and his companions are dogs. They're literally dogs. He is living the life of a dog. That, that's what Jesus is, is making the point. He, he, you know, dogs, they long for something off your table, right? If you've got a dog and you're eating at the table, it comes and it just sits there waiting for anything to fall off the table. And that's that's, what, that's how Jesus describes Lazarus. He has this longing. And you know what? The rich man saw him. The rich man knew him. How do I know that? Because later on when he's in hell and he's looking up at him, he says, Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. He knew what Lazarus' name was. He saw him. He saw his condition, but his heart, his heart was not moved. He did not care enough to do anything about it. And here's what's, what's uh, um, revealed in this passage is that God had given this rich man the resources to make a difference in that man's life, to turn the course of that man's life, but he didn't. He didn't. And it's easy to look at this passage and go, man, how could he not do that? Why, couldn't he, why didn't he do something about it? And that's a great question. And in 1 John 3, 17, I think the answer can be found in 1 John 3, 17. It says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love Abide in him. I think the reason that this man did not turn and do something is because the love of God, God's love did not abide in him. Though he was religious, he did not have the love of God in him. He was in bondage to himself. He was a slave to himself. Therefore, he served his master which was himself. And he was not free to love the way that God loves. 
And so what was Lazarus to the rich man? Lazarus was an inconvenience to the rich man because if he brought him into his life, if he went down there and brought him into his life, he was going to have to do something. It was going to have to, it was going to cost him something to go. It was going to cost him his time. It was going to cost him his money. It could cost him his sleep. He was inconvenient. And another thing about Lazarus is this. He wasn't going to be a quick fix. He had sores on his body, right? It takes time to heal. In other words, he was going to have to endure beside him if he got into, in, involved in his life. But Lazarus was laid at his gate. And let me ask you, who laid him there? God did. God laid him there. Why? For the rich man to reveal God's love and God's glory through what God had given him. But he did not. Now, I want to read a passage, Ephesians 2, one of, one of the greatest passages for a believer. It describes what God's done for us. I want to read this, and I want you to, to hear, um, think about Lazarus and the rich man and yourself as I read this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And here's, here is one of the most misread verses in the Bible. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. Oh, that is such good. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We usually stop right there and we go, yes, salvation is, is by faith, is through grace, by faith, through grace alone, through grace, through faith alone, right? We say, there's nothing I gotta do. And we stop at verse 9. But look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus for what? Good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God has prepared good works for his children to either walk in or to walk past. It's up to us to decide whether we will see what God has prepared for us and walk in it. And these good works come to us often in the form of Lazarus. And they're, they're there for us to bring glory to God to the Lazaruses that are in this world, both in word and deed. I want to make sure we understand 
It's through the we bring the word and we bring the deed, both of them together. It's important that we bring both when we when we minister to one another. And our lives, our lives in our churches, we are meant to be bomb shelters. We are meant to be a hospital. We are meant to be a relief center because the truth is, in this life, we are living in a war zone. And here's where the conflict arises often in our hearts. The conflict in my heart, and I'm sure it's in your heart too, is that I want comfort. I want ease. I just want a little bit of you know, rest and luxury. And instead of being on a, a battleship, I want to be on a cruise ship that is headed for a tropical resort. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I'm desiring, in other words, you know what, what we're desiring? We're, we're desiring the Garden of Eden. We're desiring to be, that's not a bad desire. It's just that the Lord's told us it's not yet. You're in a war zone. And you know what this parable teaches us? He teaches us that God sinks man-made ships, cruise ships. He sinks them, and he bombs earthly paradises. Why? Because they breed self-centered destruction, and they keep us from true eternal riches. And so we need to stay awake. We need to be aware of this dangerous temptation to live our lives this way. Because there are, there are many godly saints that are even in the scripture who have fallen into this pitfall. You, remember, you guys remember, the king, remember King David? As a young boy, when he didn't have anything but God, he was a great warrior. Everything to him was God. And then God took him, raised him up, made him successful, popular. And we read uh, later in 2 Samuel, when he's older, you know what he, he does? He gets tired. And it says that instead of going out to war like he should have, he's like, you know what? I'm going to sit back on the beach and drink a pina colada out of a coconut. Now, it doesn't really say that in the scripture, but that's what it means in our terminology. I just want to chill. And he stays home and he chills when he should have gone out and, and been at war with his men. And we know what happens, right? He sees Bathsheba, you, uh, Uriah's wife, he takes her, uh, he, she gets pregnant, then he tries to cover it up by inviting Uriah to come back from where he was out at the war. He says, come back here, and he feast. he put, puts him at his table, and he says, hey, go home to your wife tonight. He's trying to cover up what he had just done. And I love Uriah. Uriah is, is, is probably my second favorite person, in, well, third, if you inc include Jesus, of course. <laughs> but he's my favorite fallen human being because he clearly displays the glory of Christ in his response to David. Because basically the next morning, David sees Uriah and goes, why didn't you go home? Because Uriah stayed at David's gate with the servants and slept with them. He didn't go home to his luxuries. And I love what Uriah says. And, and I don't know if Uriah meant to rebuke David in, in what he says or if he's just declaring the truth. But he rebukes David and he says this, Uriah said to David, here's why I didn't go home. The ark of Israel and Israel 
and Judah dwell in booths. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will, do, I will not do this thing. I love that. In other words, he's saying, look, we're at war. And my heart is burdened for God's glory and for his people. How can I, knowing this, kick back and act like nothing's going around me when my brothers are out in the field suffering? He understood it because he had been there. He had just come from there. It was fresh in his heart and in his mind. And this is the heart of Christ. This is the heart of Christ, knowing that, that his brothers are suffering. And Uriah clearly knew and he loved God. That's why he has this heart within him right now. And you know what? The sin of the rich man in this story, that back in Luke, the sin of, of him and of these religious leaders is not that they had stuff. I want to be clear about that. If, it's, if you go to hell because you're rich, then Abraham shouldn't have been up in heaven because he was a rich man. Okay, So it's not because they had stuff, but it's because their stuff had them. They, their stuff was their God. And they were serving the things that were created instead of the God who made them. And in a time of war, they had fattened themselves on the riches that God had entrusted to them for them to enjoy but also to use to glorify God and to reveal God to those who were around them. And you know what the danger is? Here's what the danger is with riches and the things of this world. If you hold them closely to your heart, they will cause your heart to harden and to be calcified. And you will no longer have a tender heart that can experience the love of God, the concerns of God, and those who God has placed in your life. The rich man failed to glorify God with his life. And here's the sad thing about it, is he didn't realize it until it was too late. And that can be us. That can be us individually, and that can be us corporately as a church, to where we become content with where we're at, and our heart is hardened and we become blinded to what God has around us. So what's the solution? Well, the good news is that there is a solution to this hardened heart problem. And, and the answer is not for us to become a church that is focused on social justice. Okay, That is not the answer. And it's not, I'm not up here to try to guilt trip you this morning so that when you leave here, you go out and just take everything and throw it out to every, you know, wildly and blindly just throw it out to those who are in need. God wants us to move in a sober way. And, th and that's not the solution. Rather, the solution is that we need to realize something. Okay? This is the solution. We need to realize that all of us are Lazarus. Do you realize that you are Lazarus? All of us can be an inconvenience. All of us can be 
unpleasant to be around. All of us can be costly. And because of our sin and our rebellion against us, against God, all of us are lame and sick and covered with sores. Longing, and we all long to be fed. There's a longing in all of us, just like Lazarus, to be fed and healed and clothed. And all of us are looking for that food somewhere. And the good news is that there was this rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day in heaven. His name is Jesus. And when he saw our need, when he saw us at his gate, he didn't turn a blind eye, but he responded by leaving his haven, his home of glory, and he came down to meet us where we are. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6 say this. Speaking of Jesus, surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid or has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. We're all Lazaruses. And Jesus came down and he traded places with us. He took on our sores on our poverty. He took our status as a dog. He took our place at the gate, outside the gate, with the dogs. He suffered in our place. And he comes to each of us and offers us a seat at his table for free. Take it. And that's the choice we all have to make. Will I take what Jesus has done for me? Because if you do, your sores will be healed. And something's going to happen to your heart. It's going to soften. He'll give you a new heart. And you're going to begin to see the Lazaruses that are around you. That is the solution. The solution is not to try to... Make up a a Lazarus. God's going to bring them to you. Trust me. God gives us all of us opportunities through Lazaruses. But we will miss them if we don't see what he has done for us. So my question to you this morning is who, who is the Lazaruses in your life? Who are the Lazaruses in your life? And you know, um, I am so encouraged. This is not a, uh, a, a rebuke to our church, this message this morning. It's really not a rebuke. It's actually a message of, hey, let's move forward. Let's, let's grow. And this is an area that I see that we are growing in. It's not that this doesn't exist in our church. 
I love it when I hear what God is doing in our midst, and I, and I didn't have anything to do with it. I love that because I know that God is, that our church is growing the way that it should be growing. And uh, I was talking to Scotty uh, a week or two ago, and, and he, he was um, out living life with his daughter and playing in the pool. And there was a, a, an older lady, I think in her 70s or something, that was in the pool too. And, and Scotty turned to her and said, oh, I hope that you know, we're not making too much noise and laughing too much. And the, he said that the lady said to him, you know what, you're good. I need to hear laughter right now. And what happened in Scotty is that triggered this, this um, RMCs have been talking about this, about reaching out. And it triggered in him, hey, that's Lazarus right there. So he went and he engaged in a conversation that I think lasted about an hour and a half. He found out um, that this, was she recently widowed? Is that? Okay, her husband's sick. So she's in a place where she needed some life, right? And God had put her right at his gate. Long story short, they began, they had dinner together. They've built relationships. Uh, his family has come around this lady. They've, be, they've um, become friends. And it's one of those things where the reason this is happening is because Scotty heard what she was saying. And he responded in just a small way, and she responded back. And now they're building a relationship in Christ. He's been able to share the gospel with her. And, and, and I'm excited to see where this relationship is going to go. But that is, that is what I'm talking about right here. That's the kind of, of relationships that I'm talking about. God brings us Lazaruses to our gate. God has placed them there. And my question is, do we see them? Do we see them as that? Or are they inconveniences? Are they inconveniences or are they investments? Are they obstacles or are they opportunities? Are they you? Do you see yourself? Because if you do, if you can see yourself that that's me, that's what God did for me, that's when your heart's going to be melted and you're going to be given the ability and the power to begin to minister. And the question that I, I've been asking myself is, what should the rich man have done? What should he have done? And that's a question that um, we need to ask when we're dealing with people. Because again, it's not about just pouring your money out on people. Sometimes when we give money to people, we're actually hurting them. And it's actually, uh, sometimes that's the easy way to do things. Here's what I think the rich man should have done. He should have gotten down there and gotten to know the man. He should have began to build a friendship with him, a relationship with him, so that he could truly assess what are these, what, what, what are this man's needs. He should have built a relationship with him. And my question that I have to ask myself, and I'm asking us as a church body, is are we willing to do that? Are we willing to build relationships with people in order to show the glory and love of God? Um, and, here's, and here's how that will happen. is If we will remember that we are Lazarus, 
and we will remember what Christ has done for us and is doing for us as we grow in a rich fellowship in Christ. May we be a church that's filled with Lazaruses who are being healed through the good news of God's love. May we be a church that understands that God sent his son to die for us that we might know his love and his glory. May we be a church that is growing in holiness and purity, hating that which is evil and that which is unjust, and loving God and loving his righteousness and loving what God loves. That we would be a people that are full of mercy and compassion, who love like Jesus because we have been loved by Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.